Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire. iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire. Negative thinking patterns are easy to get into, and people spend a lot of time worrying about the future. This is just how we're wired. Our brains react more strongly to negative events than to positive ones. That's why insults stick in our minds longer than praise. Negative thoughts are more likely to spiral during tough times, and this is called cognitive distortion or thinking traps. And this is when you make something seem worse than it really is. Today's guest, Jacob Goldstein, will talk about how to reframe our thought process and how to get out of these thinking traps. Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search. For me, worrying always seems to get worse in the middle of the night. I told my husband the other day that it's like my brain has this filing system. I wake up and I think about a couple of very low priority, generic or happy things and think that I can easily go back to sleep. But then my brain pulls out this file and says, ooh, let's worry about this one. And then off into two hours of restlessness we go. They say that 97% of things we worry about either never happen, and then the 3% that do happen, we usually can handle them and learn something valuable in the process. Now, when I saw that, I thought, ah, but did I handle that better because I worried about it? We'll probably never know. Before we talk with Jacob, let's review some of the more common thinking traps and how we can proactively think ourselves out of these traps. There's the all or nothing or black and white trap. An example of this would be, I didn't get that job and I'm never going to find a job. When something doesn't go as planned, you immediately label it as a failure and label yourself as a failure. But in life, things aren't black and white or all or nothing. It's really important to see the various shades of gray in between. There's the mind reading trap. Assuming that someone is thinking something negative about you without having any evidence of it. You may think a new coworker doesn't like you when in reality they are just introverted and they don't like to chit chat. There's no way to know what others are thinking and this can turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy. When we think someone dislikes us, then we tend to pull away, which makes them naturally pull away. And then we think, see, I knew they didn't like me. And you feel justified in that thought process. How about the fortune telling trap? This is where we predict things will end badly. Again, this can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Something I say all of the time is that you speak your destiny. So if you think you're going to get fired and you talk about the fear of getting fired with others, you are speaking your destiny and you will probably get fired. There's the overgeneralization trap. Basically, this is a broad statement based on one situation. When something difficult happens, you might ask, why does this always happen to me? When you include words like never, always, and every in a statement, 
that's an overgeneralization. There's the me or them trap. The me trap is wrongfully assuming total responsibility for a problem or a situation. The them trap is wrongfully blaming everyone else for the problem and not taking your share of the responsibility. The catastrophizing trap is thinking that everything will end in a catastrophe and blowing things out of proportion. I think most of us have done this from time to time, but some people are very good at it and willing to volunteer their version of the worst case scenario without being asked. The key is to recognize your thinking traps and be able to identify them when you fall into one of them. Life is difficult and we simply can't control everything, but we can control the way we respond to difficult situations. Mel Robbins is the author of The Five Second Rule, and she will tell you that she was the queen of worry. And now she's kind of the queen of telling people how not to worry. A couple of her tricks that work for me when I start to get into a thinking trap is to say to myself, stop thinking about that. And I'm shocked that that works most of the time. But if the thought persists, but if the thought persists, instead of dwelling on the worst case scenario, ask yourself, what if it all works out? This really tends to derail my mind and get me thinking in a more positive direction. Jacob Goldstein is the founder of the Leadership Laboratory, and he's a learning and leadership development consultant. Jacob speaks to Fortune 500 companies about positive mental health in the workplace and how leaders can foster a culture of psychological safety. He's talking to us today about the most common thinking traps that can be roadblocks for ourselves and our teams and will give us escape strategies to identify and avoid these thinking traps. Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche. Tell me about the thinking traps. What are those? Yeah, so thinking traps, those are the the mental blockers that we have, right? It's what stops us in our tracks uh, or things that we notice that other people might might say or or do uh, as well that might stop them sort of within their own minds. So we talked about within our session five in particular. We talked about uh, the mind reading trap. So that's where we start to make assumptions or tell stories. Well, I think that they're going to do this, so I should probably say this because they're going to probably do, right? We start to make stories and tell assumptions. Right. We've got the me trap, right? It's all my fault. I'm not good enough. I'm I'm, I'm bad at this, right? I'm sort of thinking about our own faults or things that are, are not good. We've got the third one is the them trap, right? Everyone else is at fault or everything else, right? It was this person or this individual or this circumstance. We have catastrophizing where we say, oh my gosh, well, if this happens, well, then this could happen. And then this could happen, right? The problem just grows and grows and gets worse and worse. And the last one is helplessness where we feel like we've got no control. There's nothing I can do, right? I'm just sort of stuck. I got to accept this and and find a way just to sort of move on from there. So we talked about and sort of identified those thinking traps, which is sort of the first step as we work to create psychological safety. How do we identify and know and understand what those thinking traps are so that we can find a way to build on top of it from there. And I can identify with those, but at different times. Of course, absolutely. Different situations, different times. I find myself 
thinking, oh, I'm in the helpless trap or I'm in the me trap. So as a job seeker, it can get very discouraging. Absolutely. What kind of things should you be telling yourself as you are facing these thanks but no thanks emails that totally, you get. Totally, totally, totally. Um, well, when we talk a little bit more about what, what this looks like, right, and how do we maintain that, that positive energy, it's that idea, too, of what's kind of exciting. And I, I, I'll acknowledge, too, a job search can be stressful, right? It, it absolutely can absolutely. be. At the same time, something that, that will, will help, and one of the strategies that we talk about within sort of these escape routes, how do we view it as the fact that if we're going to work, if we're gonna be looking for a new job, it's because we're looking for a place where we can provide our time, our energy, and our talents, right? So if it's gonna take a long time, that's okay, right? We know that ultimately we want to go to a place that we we feel really good at, that a place that, that feels comfortable, that is a culture that we're looking for. So one of the three strategies that we talk about is a reframe, right? How am I reframing this or viewing the situation in a different light? So acknowledging that the um, rejection might happen, right? And that, that might, it might look that way. All the time. Right? It will it, happen. Of course, right? And acknowledging that's a part of the process, right? And it's also teaching me what am I going to do differently next time? What did I learn from that experience? Or, okay, this was an organization that didn't feel that I was probably the right fit for them. I'm going to continue to look to find one where we feel that it's a match. Because when we find a job, our hope is that we want to stay there for a long time, right? right? We, we want to make a commitment to, to what this is. So one of the three strategies we talk about is the reframe strategy, right? Viewing this in, in another, lay, another way or another, another manner. There's two other strategies that we talk about as well. One is called the evidence strategy, right? It's a great counterbalance for some of those uh, different emotions that we're feeling. The thinking traps are really grounded in a lot of feeling and a lot of emotion. The evidence strategy is a great counterbalance to that because it's saying, what's the data that I have, right? right? Well, the data that I have is that I've been able to get hired before, right? The data is that I've worked for organizations. I've been able to get hired before, so I know that I am hireable, right? <laughs> right? I have data that says I'm good at these tasks. I have data and feedback from individuals that I'm good at these sorts of things. So reminding ourselves, what's the evidence that I have and the information that I have in terms of what might be going on in, in, in terms of this particular situation to bust some of those thinking traps that we might be falling into. And of course, the third strategy that we can use is what we call a plan, right? So if we find ourselves in these situations, okay, if I don't get this job, if I get this rejection, what's my plan going to be? Well, first thing I'm going to do is take myself out for ice cream. Then after that, <laughs> I'm going to sort of make a list. What were the things that I felt that I did really well? Do that? a retro. Absolutely, yeah. To say, okay, what did I what did I do really well? And then also to go through and say, okay, next time, what did I learn? What might I do differently? Something that I might phrase differently or something I might say or a question I might ask ask, how do I start to put together a plan to say, okay, if this thing happens, what am I going to do differently so that I can plan and prepare for the future? Well, and I think that people don't think about that enough that you're not a professional interviewer. If you're out of a job, you're not a professional job search coach or, uh, you know, anybody that, that makes a living just looking for a job all of the time. So you don't know what you're going to run into. Absolutely. And you have to have that positive mindset of this is a learning experience Mm -hmm. for me. And acknowledging to what's in our control and what's out of our control, right? What's out of our control is whether or not we get hired. What's out of our control is if the budget continues, right? Acknowledging that budgets might be changing. They might not no longer need this position or they might have someone internally. What is out of our control is sort of the questions that I'm asked. What's in my control is how I prepare. 
What's in my control is how I respond to particular situations. What's in my control is how I react when they say, no, thank you, but we'd like to keep in touch, right? So focusing on having high expectations for what's in our control and low expectations for what's out of our control. I had a job seeker the other day I was coaching and he had his first phone interview. Sure. And he said he tried to wing it. And now he said, I need to prepare. I need to understand what I should be saying to these people. And yes, it's all in the preparation. And give yourself permission when you make a mistake, right? I I always say uh, when when you sort of have any sort of experience where something doesn't go your your way, you get a choice. You can either sort of stick with it and say, gosh, I'm so upset I made this mistake. Or you can say, I'm going to make a commitment to do something differently. I share the story when I I talk about this, that uh, one day several years ago, I was walking downtown in Chicago and I passed an individual who was having a, a seizure on a sidewalk. And for whatever reason, my blinders were on. I wasn't paying attention. I got about a block and a half beyond that. And I sort of realized what happened. And I ran back. Fortunately, other people had had come to help. And so the individual, they had called 911. An ambulance came. He was, was taken and he was okay. But I felt so ashamed. I was so upset. And I was frustrated at myself for the rest of the day and the next day. And I said to myself, I have a choice. Either I can continue to be upset and frustrated about this, which is certainly an option, right? Or I can make a commitment to do something differently. Right. So to be able to say, okay, the next time something like that happens, I'm gonna be the first one to step in. And as a result, I have had to call 911 for a fire, for a domestic violence observance that I had, uh, for individuals getting, there was someone who was totally okay, but they were knocked off their bike by a car. So in all those other situations and circumstances, other people just sort of stood idly by, and I was always the one who stood up and took action. Took the leadership. Right, so a lot of times too, if we have a a phone interview, right, this this is a a far less extreme example that doesn't go our way to say, you know what, I didn't prepare that time. I have one of two choices. I can either be upset about it or I could say, here's what I learned. Here's what I'm gonna commit to doing differently so that I am prepared, right? I I write out all the questions that they're gonna ask me and I practice what they are. If it's for an in-person conversation, how am I looking at myself or doing this in a mirror? Uh, Doing a fun exercise if I'm afraid that I'm saying um too much, right? Standing up and sitting down every time I say um to make sure that I'm conscious of, of, of making sure that I don't do that so often. So finding ways when we're in these environments, when we're in these interview experiences to go through and say, if I find myself here, and it doesn't go my way, what will I do differently? What will I commit to doing? What did I learn, right? Going back to that reframe to then say, how can I make this a positive learning experience for the future? And don't be afraid to have the burner interviews. I mean, you need a few of those when you're starting out to just understand what the whole interview process is, especially if you haven't been in an interview for a long time. Absolutely. And going through and acknowledging, right, when we go to interview for a job, the expectation isn't I'm gonna get the job, right? The expectation is I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna work really hard to get to the next round. And I'm gonna learn from this, right? So that as I continue and apply to other organizations, to other places, which we want to apply to lots of places that we feel good about, right? This is a place that at the end of the day, we're gonna be providing our talents and our skills and our abilities and our time. So we want to make sure that when we go into this, while we're focusing too on the learning experience for us, it's also an opportunity for us to interview them. What are we learning from them? Is this indicative of a good culture that's a fit for us as well? Yeah, you get a peek behind the curtain when you're yeah. talking to those people, especially Absolutely. if you're in a panel interview situation. Absolutely, of course, yeah. of course, of course. 
How would an imposter syndrome relate to somebody that's interview, interviewing for a job? Absolutely. So, I mean, I'll acknowledge too, especially earlier on in my career, I had a lot of imposter syndrome. I was going into work with executive teams, with leaders who had far more years of experience than I had, and I found myself getting really nervous. And one of the things that I talk a lot about, in when, especially when I have the chance to work with job seekers, is this idea that confidence comes from competence. So if I want to be confident, if I want to show up as confident, I have to be competent. I have to practice. I got to do the research. I got to do the homework. I got to get the information. So for example, for myself personally, when I found myself getting really nervous to give all these presentations and, and these workshops for executive leaders, I said the only way that I'm going to be able to overcome this and have that confidence that I need is to be incredibly competent. So I read as much as I possibly could. I listened to podcasts, YouTube videos, TED Talks, I articles in HBR, read all different sorts of things to make sure that I had as much information as I possibly could. So that when someone would ask a question, I had a resource, I had a data point, I had something that I could sort of lean on. So when we notice that we're feeling this imposter syndrome, that's okay, right? That acknowledgement or that awareness of that is a really solid first step. What's important to do next is then say, what am I gonna do as a result? What am I gonna do differently? How am I gonna make that happen? What am I gonna learn? Or what am I gonna commit to learning to make sure that I'm prepared for the future? What is the one big takeaway you would want somebody who is out there looking for a job to understand and take away from your talk today? One of the things that I think would be most important is to realize the power that we have from positive psychology. When we approach different projects, when we approach different tasks, even if we're thinking about this from a perspective of I'm here to learn, I'm here to do my best, it shows. Right? What's going on deep down is what we attract. So if we attract this anxious attachment of, I need this job, I need to work for it, right? Those are the things that show up whether we try to or not. Yes, you're projecting those. Absolutely. Like you said, whether you know it or not, you are projecting that, that fear. And I can acknowledge too, right, that doesn't mean that we have to totally negate all the anxiety that we might be having or the fear or that the fact that, gosh, I, I really do need this or I really want this job. The more that we can go in with that positive perspective of, I'm here to do my best, I'm here to have fun, I'm here to make a good impression, that makes it so much easier because we've we've lowered the stakes a little bit. If we get the job, that's really good, right? That would be wonderful. The goal isn't necessarily to get the job. The goal is to be asked back. The goal is to have a really good experience and, and have leave a good reputation. Right. I can't tell you how many people, I'm sure you talk about this too, individuals who have such a good interview and they don't get that job, but they're brought in for the next one. I think it's so interesting. There's a yes. number of people who, uh, they actually talked about this from a, a, an acting perspective. I don't know if you know Uzo Aduba, who was in Orange is the New Black. She was brought in for other roles and they liked her so much that they built her a role. They built her a a cool thing. Aubrey Plaza on Parks and Recreation, they auditioned her for a different role. They thought, this is a really interesting person. Let's build a role. So you never know, right? If you go in and you do your best, it might not be that role, and that's okay. If If the goal is to say, I want to make a good impression, I want to make sure that I feel good about this, different opportunities open up in ways that are oftentimes even far more effective. Well, thank you so of much course. for being thank here for today, Jacob. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks. We appreciate our featured guest for joining the Find Your Niche podcast. Now, more career advice and stories from your host, Lori Cole. 
This two-minute tell-all made my heart happy because I could see the scene playing out as a retired flight attendant told this story. As she was working a flight from Europe to the U.S., a Russian couple with two small children took their seats in her section. Their goal was to settle with their family who were already here in the United States. And the flight attendant said that there were a lot of people from Russia on that plane coming to meet family in the U.S. Now, the flights from Europe can be long, and I'm sure it's especially tough with young kids. So when they landed, the kids and the parents were exhausted and didn't know what to do or how to navigate the airport. So the flight attendant volunteered to help them through the airport and to find the main greeting area where their family would most likely be waiting. As they arrived in the main waiting area, people were dancing and singing and hugging and kissing everyone on that flight, including the flight attendant, because they thought she was part of the family. She got so swept up in the celebration, and she said she will never forget this. She was so glad to be part of this sweet family's new life in America. Is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career? Email to laurie.cole at ihire.com. Thanks for listening.